Episode 192, dated Friday the 25th of February 2011, the features that changed video games. Their names are Alex Shaw and Tony Atkins. Alex and Tony from Digital Cowboys. Together they are the Digital Cowboys. Our friends, the Digital Cowboys. Digital Cowboys. Digital Cowboys. A dynamic duo of dynamite podcasters that deliver a show of divine quality each and every week. We just recorded uh, with the Digital Cowboys yes, right before this. Fun times. Two very, very swell chaps. The Digital Cowboys. Digital Cowboys. Digital Cowboys. I just recently appeared on the Digital Cowboys podcast. The Digital Cowboys. They're British. It was fun times because they're British. Yes. <laughs> and they had the sexy accents. It's true. In-depth gaming discussion with special guests and interesting questions. That's an interesting question. Every so often, a feature is implemented into a game either by design innovation, ambition to push the medium forward, or in some cases, purely by accident, that changes the face of gaming as we know it. There's usually two forms of occurrence. The first is when it appears out of the blue in some game that might be otherwise insignificant, and the second is when it's brought to you in a game that has serious influence, usually something with a heftier budget and more marketing clout. Very occasionally you get both together. Tony and myself are joined tonight by... Chris O'Regan of Super Happy Fun Time Show. Hello. Sinan Kuba of Big Red Potion. Hello. And Zantiriad of the Ninja Fat Pigeons. Hello. And we're going to be discussing just a handful of these innovations. For God's sake, let it only be a handful. <laughs> we're going to attempt to put these in... Well, no, we were going to attempt to put these in roughly chronological order, but it's gotten somewhat out of hand. In order to paint a picture of gaming history's tree. But to give you a perfect example out of context, let's look at a game almost all of us have played after having experienced the first wave of the genre. Halo. Halo was a pioneer in many ways. It wasn't the first console FPS by any means. It wasn't even the first great console FPS, but it was a game-changer for several reasons. It had expansive, sprawling outdoor and indoor environments, less of a focus on corridors, more of free roam, allowing you to improvise tactics, and vehicles and land multiplayer. And I'm sure... Okay, right, can anyone name games that had done that before on console or indeed PC that were FPSs? Um, Unreal Tournament. Unreal, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, GoldenEye had less of a focus on just being in corridors because you got all those sort of True. You did, yeah. running around in the snow you, at least you got objectives in GoldenEye so it wasn't just your straightforward run through the level vehicles any vehicles in an FPS uh, GoldenEye you got the tank there was a game that was released before Battlefield the same people who made Battlefield mm-hmm. and it was something wings of something I was struggling to remember but it was Heralded as a really amazing game. I remember playing it myself. It was just be- it was before 1942. It was the precursor to 1942. So there might have been a contemporary of uh, Halo, right? Or it might have been just before. I think it was 1999, 98. So yeah, I have to dig out details of that one. But yeah, that had vehicles and right. It was, basically, it was Battlefield, but you know, set in this World War One sort of uh, alternate universe thing. It's cool. Okay, but Halo combined all of these above into one extremely well-executed cocktail where non-scripted chaotic events could take place. However, the true game-changer... By the way, take a shot when anybody says anything to that effect. uh, This podcast will turn into a truly deadly drinking game. Same for if anyone says, uh, I think you'll find that. (laughs) The true game-changer was the button-mapping loadout and energy handling. 
two weapons at a time as opposed to nine or ten carried on your back meant that you had to be careful what you picked up. Grenades and melee attacks were now mapped to buttons rather than cycled through as weapons, meaning you could react with split-second timing. And the fact that your shield recharged rather than being replenished via pickups meant for a new kind of FPS gameplay was coined. The 30 seconds of fun where you exposed yourself for attack and risked your shield being depleted and then took cover where did it charge up and be back in the game. After this, while plenty of FPS titles maintained the pickup mechanic, the vast majority went the recharge route, which kept an urgent pace to proceedings. The sheer fact that you'd be vulnerable for a time if attacked, but safe if hidden, offered the canny player an economy of movement and progression, and a more tangible grasp of risk versus reward. But what we're looking for tonight is not really the one defining game that changed things around in a genre, but a tree of influence which allowed that one game to blossom. The first one on my list is real-time strategy, simply because the first occurrence of it occurs so early. It's not the, the first game we're going to mention, but um, <laughs> if you check out real-time strategy, a lot of people mention Dune 2. But no. way... Well, no, no, hang on, hang on. <laughs> way before Dune 2... Uh, which came out in 1992 on DOS and the Mega Drive in 1993, uh, you got Stonkers, The Ancient Art of War, and Herzog's Vi. May I go first, gents? Oh, that's got some ideas. I mean, go for it. Previous, previous to that, strategy games were the preserve of a publisher, a developer called SSI. Um, others may chip in at this point, but uh, and these games are, are were, are... Um, uh, hex-based strategy, very dry, very very dry. Explain so, hex-based. These the maps were uh, a landscape, maybe a continent or something like that, <laughs> and they'll be superimposed on top of them. Will be a series of hexagonal patterns, oh, right. and like a, a grid, like a, a graph paper, if you will. And on those hexes, you'll be placing units and that sort of thing, and then they. They interact with each other by attacking each other. You know, you you put place a unit, and you move it several hexagons to another unit, and then you start having a fight and that sort of thing. It's all very abstract, and it was all turn based. You know, it's your turn. You do your thing. You move your units, and then you fire in your fa- action phase. And then it's the other person's turn. They move, and then they fire in retaliation. And then right. that's how it worked. And there are still turn based games out there. They're, you know, they're very successful. Civilization being one of the most famous. Mm. But, obviously, um, with computers being the way they are, I mean, that works fine as a board game, you know, so that's, it's basically replicating a board game experience. Mm. So just replacing the board game into the computer and letting the computer do all the number crunching and the dice rolling, but essentially the, the mechanism of play was still the same. But it wasn't using the fact that we were on computers and they could do the number crunching all at the same time while you were about yeah. to take turns, right? And it's much more dynamic that yeah. way. It's much more flowing. You're not sitting more. on your hands waiting for the other person to move like chess. No, you, yeah, exactly. So it's like it's flowing. It's more of a video game. Only a video game could run like this, I believe, or mm. others may question me and say, it's actually... I think you're fine. I think you're fine. <laughs> Take a shot. Game. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't turn base, but ultimately it's, 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 a, it's, it's part of that sort of culture. So what That's was why. Stonkers, and why was it different? Was it just the same thing, but all moving at the same time, or what? Well, it's one other word you heard of. Go, have you heard of this? No, I don't know Stonkers. No. Let's move on to the ancient art of war. Then. <laughs> I've got a little thing here in this, because yep. in, in lieu of actual knowledge, I've got my Guinness... Uh, What's his full name? Guinness World Records Games Edition yeah. 2008 book. Tony I've got ten. Yeah, see, see if I can outdo you. Tony's more up to date. And I've got, I've got something on Stonkers here. Apparently it was, was like 
like Chris was saying, is a first real-time strategy game where you control both your world or troops and their actions and battles created by a guy called John Gibson that's 1983. So I guess it's, there's yeah, a screenshot here, it just looks very, very basic, like a kind of primitive. It also says uh, released in the UK on this Z- ZX Spectrum. Yeah. So. yeah. So once again, the pioneers go us. Sorry, bit of male flag waving there. Sorry. Yeah. No, I'm all, all for that. Roll, roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the game that we've never heard of, basically created a genre that many, many people do play today. Yeah. yeah. But the one that was most successful was um, Doom Two. Yeah. They didn't invent it, but they were the most successful. Well, I remember um, when I was a kid hearing about Herzog's Fire and then thinking that, mm. that sounds way too complicated for me, but that, that must have been one of the first significant console uh, strategy games. Yeah, well, it's... RTSs. That's a significant strategy game. dangerous to go there uh, because there are many Japanese strategy RPGs out there that were just as strategic ah. in level, so let's not go there. We can okay, get sorry. R- R- RTS, is that the rest we're putting it? Yeah, I yeah. mean, I have heard Zogwire on my Mega Drive. It's a great game, but uh, right. it is very complicated. But it's, get, it's a celebrated one. I was going to say, Mo, uh, Peter Molyneux actually got there before uh, June 2 as well, because um, Bullfrog made Powermonger. Which I was going to say Powermonger. Yeah, what, what about Megalomania? Thank you. That's a bit later, yeah. isn't it? it was, is it a bit yeah, later? It was after oh, yeah. 1990 in the Amiga, I remember. That was a great game, but a bit later, yeah. What about yeah. SimCity in that respect? Uh, Is that real time strategy, more management? Yeah, I mean, it's 88. And management sim, yeah, it's got to be. God sim. One yeah. of the earlier gods. Which, so Populous got their first or? Yes. Populous, yeah. That would have been, what, 88, 87? God, this is like, you know, games yeah, exterior yeah, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Populous yeah. 89, there you go. I mean, for me, like my my formative yeah. also, oh, I guess I was Command, com- Command and Conquer. Yeah. On the yeah, I mean, that, that would be interesting, actually, if we could sum up what our first experience with any of these genres are to give it kind of like some some basis of where we probably entered into this Command and Conquer on the Playstation 1 I'm probably the same as well Playstation 1 Command and Conquer no good without a mouse unfortunately well no it was fine back then it was simple enough to be fine Dan Uh, well it would have been Powermonger on the Amiga uh, which was mouse and keyboards yeah Um, Um, or or, or possibly I don't know if you would count this but possibly Carrier Command which was around about the same time would you say Settlers? Is that a... Mm, yeah. More management? Yeah. Probably I Settlers than yeah. Amiga. Yeah. Have you got conflict um, in there? <laughs> That's yeah, Okay, so real-time strategy is more of a sort of genre definer, but let's look at adding a feature into a game which had previously not been explored before. So for a long time, there was lots of sort of turn-based uh, two-player games and things like Super Mario Brothers. And, oh, you know, what, I'm not even going to mention turn-based games because whatever I say is going to be many, many years too late for like, the first ever two-player-based game. But if you're not counting stuff like Pong, which was the first, say, split-screen multiplayer game? Because, I mean, there's plenty of sort of arcade cabinets where you're on the yeah. Same, same screen, but uh, something which would, would sort of divide thought, the two of you. I thought it was Ball Blazer by LucasArts hmm. or Lucasfilm. 1984. I thought it was that. Cause that's on the Atari 8 bits and the C64. Yeah. Anyone want, anyone want to counter that? Bobby Blackwolf said Pole Position, 1982. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. That definitely did have split screen. Nice one, Blackwolf. Yeah. Uh, there was also Scale as well, but I think that may have been. Shortly after that, somebody said Spy versus Spy, which is oh, also 1984. Yeah, that, that was the yeah. one I, I was thinking of, and I saw someone on your forum post that, and I was yeah. like, "Yeah, that was what that was." What I was just I, about to keep I, I, say. Is that a I spent hours. 
C64, Amstrad, and Spectrum. C64, Atari, Spectrum, NES, Amstrad, Apple II, Master System, and Amiga. Yeah. Well, that, that was the later. That was the latest one. Okay. Of course. Yeah. In, in a traditional sense, that was the first sort of real competitive multiplayer mm. in terms yes. of you were actually up against your teammate as opposed to you know a racing game where it's, it's really you're racing the track. Yeah. Well, one of the things the N64, this isn't on the list, but one of the things the N64 did really well was have, uh, you know, four-player right. split-screen multiplayer yeah. sessions, and loads of its games had that feature. So you got Mario Kart, GoldenEye, uh, Jet Force Gemini had that, I believe, um, and, and uh, Turok, Rage Wars, awesome <laughs> game. Just about um, but, uh, you mm. know, had this been done really before that? Because, I mean, it was, it was probably one of the first systems which actually had four joypad ports at the front saying, play me, all together. You had, you had the PS1 had a multi-tap, which gave you... True, true. But um, it, it, it didn't launch with four ports straight in the front. No, saying, I think that was mainly used for games like, you know, things like FIFA and things like that, football games. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't remember there being too many four-player split-screen games. Yeah. That, that's the definition I'm trying to get round because every time I'm thinking of two-player games, I, I, you know, I'm thinking of all the football games I played when I was younger, but right. literally I need a screen cut down the middle and one person controlling their separate environment. Something that you could uh, block off with a cardboard sheet and some sellotape. I remember doing that with um, certainly pole position-like games, like racing games, and also Top Gun. There was this game... Yes. That, called Top Gun on the Amstrad. At least I played on the Amstrad. Yeah. I know it was in other formats, and that had a split screen. That was split screen, yeah. It was a vertical yeah. split, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, so what, yeah. what year are we talking on this one? So when the film came out, because it was... Oh, so 87-ish? 87, yeah. yeah. Well, Tony, you're the expert on Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good film. Bullshit, you could be my wingman. Um, okay, but I mean, <laughs> any, any four, like four-person split screen... Oh, hang on. No, sorry, I was thinking of uh, Micro Machines 2, but that was uh, that was eight people on four pads, including the J-Cart, which is all on one screen. That's crazy. No, the other way around. Uh, any other things that actually had four separate screens? I think you're going to find it initially it was certainly the N64 because yeah. it could do it. Yeah. I, yeah. I know, no, the, it, one uh, that, you know. the one that comes to mind, so it's the one that I played that, my first experience of it I mean I'd like to think I played Spy versus Spy but it doesn't ring any bells um, was definitely Goldeneye yeah mm, okay. and I think for many many other no, people it probably was. Spy vs Spy was a very unique game is that you laid traps for your opponent yeah. and you had to get lots of other you had to get the suitcase and other bits and pieces around this embassy and then you had to go and leave the embassy and get out and fly off the screen mm. and I played like that <laughs> yeah. you know that game yeah so okay, well, proper yeah, proper competitive multiplayer. It was. Yeah, um, yeah. I was just thinking, um, Chris, because you and I played on that Turbo Graphics at Replay. We did, and that had split screen. And I got, a fe- and I got a feeling the Turbo Graphics had a had a mm. multi-tap. Probably. What about co-op then? Because obviously there's a there's a lot of verses going on here. But uh, I've, I've got from. Um, uh, from Matt Harrier on the uh, forums, he's mentioned Double Dragon 2, was is one of the first console multiplayer co-op, but there must have been something else, as in simultaneous. Mm. I'd, have, I'd have thought sh- um, Shmups would have been... Yeah, there were loads. When did Forgotten Worlds come out? The one I mentioned for a later category, Cabal, that was a co-op. Co-op, yeah. Mm-hmm. Co-op shooter. Bubble Bubble. Yeah, that was yeah. co-op. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yep. I think you may have mentioned it on one of your shows quite recently, but, I mean, the... Um, 
evolution things like multiplayer and, and co-op was because the they were they were trying to just milk more money out of arcade cabinets. Yes. If you had co-op or four-player cabinets, then you were getting four quid for every or yeah. fifty oh, pieces. Yes. What were we thinking? Gauntlet. Hello. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's uh, yes. Four-player co-op. You know. Yep. So yeah. Yeah, and and yeah. now we talk about it, it's something that's almost gone. It's certainly in sit on couch and play. I mean, yeah, the Wii's brought it back. I mean, it does still exist, but it's something uh, online multiplayer. Most of Storm's brought it back. And, yeah. Rock Band. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you if you if you've seen, you might not want to edit this out, but if you've seen that uh, Wii video today, yep. then uh, four player mm. Wii pornography is. <laughs> Or sex parties, or I don't know what you want to call it. What oh, the fuck? There is a <laughs> Wii game that's coming out. There's an advert for it. That's yeah, Wii Dare. And I kid you not, it looks like a um, swingers party. So you stick the remote down some, the back of someone's skirt, and then you need to tap the remote. Oh my. That's what I call a multi-tap. <laughs> okay, so on to a slightly less crusty ground. Um, full motion video. You'd think that this would be a huge jump forward, but... Um, but no, we mentioned all the way back <laughs> as far as June 1983, certain arcade game. Dragon's Lair? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's video, isn't it? I mean, it's, I know it's it animation, is. but it's video. It's, it's, it's off a laser disc, so yeah. yeah, yeah and then, of course, there's all these American laser games like Mad Dog McCree. Um, yes. Oh. I mean, uh, we never said full motion video was good. In fact, most of these on this list aren't good or didn't have good FMV, even if it did have a good game underneath it. But uh, Bobby also mentioned Sewer Shark, but that was all the way forward yeah. to 1992 on the Mega CD. Yeah, yeah. Night Trap. Um, uh, Mist was September 93, and that had sort of... Was that really full motion video? No. No, I don't think so. No, it's rendered, was a isn't it? It's still rendered screens. Which Look, looking at a big pack of postcards. It was, yeah. But no, didn't they actually have like sort of rendered machinery working and something? I seem to sort of remember something like that. <sighs> Little animations here and there. Kind of. The later games did have lots of FMV and stuff. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. So later. The only, the only time I ever heard the phrase, though, ever mentioned was Final Fantasy. That was the only time I ever, the, the, you know, the three letters F, FMV. And yet, ironically, there's, they don't, there's, there's never been what we'd, we'd refer to as full motion video with, like, actors. Right. I mean, I, what I'm talking about here is the beginning, the intro of Resident Evil in 1996. <sighs> Barry Burton, Rebecca Chambers. <laughs> and, you know, when they're sort of wrecking their guns and going, hey, yeah, I am from stars. But then does Dragon Lair really count at that point? Just ah, talking about I suppose, yeah, if you're going to say it's animation, isn't it? Mm. Um, so I suppose you're going to really... What about... I, I, who Shot Johnny Rock is again an American laser game, isn't it? I think it's going to be one of those horrible light gun games. Probably. Just, for, just for humans actually acting on yeah. the inside again. The, 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 the first one I kind of remember playing at home was Star Wars Rebel Assault, which was... Oh, yeah. Very uh, early. And it had... Basically, it was all... It was like a... Uh, I don't know what you would call it, expanded universe story, but it had yes. proper actors and it had a lot of the kind of costumes oh, yeah. and, and sets from, yeah, from Star Wars. It was November 1993. Uh, it was pretty awful, but... Yep. <laughs> I, I, I do remember. Very hard, it was very hard to play because it was just, yeah, it was just... Um, the controls were extremely slow and sluggish, so you can actually... Yeah. There's this bit where you had to fly down this, you know, Beggar's Canyon, no less. Yeah. In 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 a in a T sixteen and you're flying down and it's terrible because you can't control the ship because it, you you go left and go hang on oh we want to go left 
<laughs> right, here you go. American Laser Games, I've looked it up for us, uh, was uh, operating from 1990 to 1994. So it was a very small window of time when people were like, I can't believe you've actually got real actors on screen. To, for God's sake, would you please get these old fuckers off this screen? Uh, and they made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, now about ten games. Mad Dog McRae, who shot Donnie Rock Space Pirates. Mad Dog 2, The Lost Gold. Gallagher's Gallery. Crime Patrol. Crime Patrol True. Drug Wars, The Last Bounty Hunter, Fast Draw Showdown, and Shootout at Old Tucson. They weren't hanging around then in a four-year lifespan. No, they they made these. I mean, they were for stuff like 3DO as well. Like if you got if you bought a 3DO, you could have the privilege of playing one of these fantastic games in your own home. That's one of the ones where you shoot at the screen and it pauses and goes, hmm, "Hang on a second. Yep, you hit him, and then he falls over backwards. <laughs> they got those hilarious, the, the actors oh. doing the hilarious dying animation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, okay, just any of the ones we just mentioned, like Mad Dog McCree, just YouTube that, and you'll know what we're talking about. Oh, I think there's a, there's a, a one-up one up Pixels yeah. Yeah, video yeah. of oh, um, Space Pirates. It's hilarious. It's beautiful. Absolutely it beautiful. Yeah, it's one of the funniest but, things you'll ever watch. Why, why do you think they never took off? Because obviously Resident Ooh. Evil. Because it looked awful and was very but, expensive. Yeah. Is, is it the break of immersion in a, in a game? Because you see it and it just it doesn't feel right having real mm. actors inside. I mean, some of it's been played upon, like the Need for Speed series. Yeah, for, there was yeah. certainly a push yeah. behind it. You know, I remember when I, when I was about sort of. Let us not forget Wing Commander. But yeah, you know, like they were they were in mm, you know right. front of stores all the time, weren't they? It's because they were trying at that point to go look. The, these games could be as I good as movies, yeah. 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 Which is you know they're still chasing that dragons. Like for God's sake, we can be better. I yeah. remember talking. To we don't Mitch need Meister. Matthew Lillard. I remember talking to Mitch Meister about this. How you know because he was taking the mick out of the original Resident Evil opening. Um, and to me, actually, as of what, 16? Yeah, would have been 16. 96, so yeah, 16 yeah. years old, 15. I, I found that actually quite, I don't want to say, you know, emotionally affecting, but I, I found it quite scary-ish. Joseph! Yeah, yeah but yeah, we can, it's easy to take the mick out of it now, but I, It was easy like, to take the mick out of it then! Yeah, it was. <laughs> but I felt like it was something that was gonna be around for a lot longer than it, it kind of just... It was just like a little, yeah, there and gone, wasn't it? They had the tech, yeah, they had the technology, but then suddenly the desire wasn't there, because the technology actually got to the point where they were able to render, you know, polygonal characters in somewhat more realistic ways than the actual actors were acting. Well, I remember, obviously, the, the 3DO and stuff, the Mega CD, having horrendous image quality because they had to compress it down so much. Yeah. They did the most terrible pixelated mess anyway, so it almost looked like they weren't FMVs in the first place. Compare those real-life actors to Uncharted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a disconnect. Yeah, okay, so it's moving on. Um, well, hang on, just very quickly, where do you yeah, put sure. Mortal Kombat and all of this oh, with, yeah. with its fighters? Um, well, I it, think it's I that's think more of a, a motion capture thing, but no, you, you're right. That's definitely something that <clears throat> it wasn't really a motion capture, was it? I it was frame it was, capture, um, frame, yeah. Frame capture, yeah. Okay, well, Mark. Shaq Fu had motion capture. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> There's another broken piece. There's another one up one. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we do battery backup? Oh, yeah, do, because I found this in my book. All right, okay. What does your book say? When was the first? I think yeah. it was um, 
it was Zelda, I think, or whatever. That's what we've been told. Zelda yeah. on, the, on the NES. On the really? NES, yes. You think so? I'll just double check that. I, I, I do believe it was, I was about to say, it was all the... I uh, think you'll find it. No, I wasn't going to say. You were. <laughs> I, I, I thought it may be an MSX um, game, cartridge yeah. game from Konami, but clearly it, it wasn't. It was actually a NES game. So right. was it Zelda? Yeah, according to Guinness anyway, they, they think yeah. it was Legend of Zelda. But they, they sort of set the staple, because previous to that, what did we do? Passwords. Mm-hmm. Passwords. Which was the first game with passwords, actually. I didn't I include this, really, mm. but... Um, cool, cool. Hmm. That, that may uh, be a bit too early. Yeah. <laughs> too early even for us. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I can remember, like, uh, when I got my Spectrum, uh, it came with a couple of really sort of <laughs> naff games with it, uh, along with things like Horace Goes Skin, and one of those had password levels. So I think it it goes back really, really early, back to the X81 and things like that. I remember writing all of my passwords for Jungle Strike in the back of the uh, the, the manual. I think somebody said uh, they couldn't stand writing the passwords down on a little bit of paper. That, that's what the manual's for. I mean, yeah. I know you want to keep yeah, it pristine, stop. but this is your yeah. game we're talking well, about. Ma- magazines back then used to regularly publish them. You used to take them back, yeah. and there'd be pages yeah. and pages and pages of codes. Yeah. Oh, God. Right, okay, so fully three-dimensional, living, breathing cities to explore on foot or in a vehicle. Now, you'd think this would be coming later, wouldn't you? <laughs> but, uh, but no, we've right. had several very early claims, which kind of put it in the, the sort of the early section, you know, around about Zelda time. In fact... Before Zelda, so um, yeah, 1985 on the Spectrum C64 in Amstrad. What was this game, Zan? Uh, Mercenary. Never heard of it. Mm. Uh, and it's 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 very hard to describe. It basically it's a a wireframe world. The 1985 version of Far Cry 2. But the the Guinness Book of Records actually says Mercenary as well. Right. It yeah. yeah. Uh, it was so wireframe. 3D game world to find that. Yeah, yeah. Well, way to doing vector game. graphics here. Or, or if, yes. if, you, if you think about it, even poly, you know, even sort of polygon games are mm. effectively the same, and just yeah, wireframe just, just to fill them in. Yeah. Um, but it, I remember it, it. It plays at about two frames per second, so it's Ooh. it's very slow. Right. Um, I mean. Uh, when um, it was it was mentioned today, I I'm sort of immediately lit up a light bulb and thought, God, yeah, I've completely forgot that game. Uh, I just remember it being very uh, impenetrable, but being sort of astonishing at the same time. A bit like uh, as Chris will uh, support me on this. A bit like Elite, you know, the concept of having yeah, yeah. A, a universe with thou- you know hundreds of thousands of planets in theory was just mind-boggling. Uh, and Mercenary was much the same. I remember it got very good review scores, but I honestly don't remember people playing it a great deal. Um, no, I, I, I counter that. I do remember certainly the group of my friends were quite enamoured with it. Um, but the problem is it was difficult. Yeah. It, it was to actually get anywhere because the idea, sorry, let me explain the concept of the game. It's talking right. about the graphics and the idea was you were stranded on a planet and you had to get off. That was it. You're a mercenary, and uh, sounds like my life as a teenager. Yeah, <laughs> so you had to. <laughs> thank you. So you had to uh, go around various planets and various sort of places, do missions for people, get money to a point where you could actually escape the planet. That was the idea. I see. And I played Mercenary One, Two, and Three, and I think there was a, a fourth, um, Damocles Sword. I think it was. That was on the ST. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Um, really sort of a pivotal game obviously uh, I've thought Turbo Escribers before that uh, no, 19 uh, 
1986, one year afterwards. Um, yeah, actually, Turbo Esprit is, is better for, for explaining what this is. What you're going to have to do, folks, is think about Grand Theft Auto 3 and then just work backwards. Yeah. When I say three-dimensional, <laughs> living, breathing cities, it, it generally describes something that goes on without you. So uh, in Turbo Esprit, you'd, you'd be driving around you know, one of four cities, I believe, and you had to f- take down a drugs cartel by ramming them off the road yeah. and, or, or chasing them. And, and uh, you could even use machine guns or something like that. You which, could shoot them, yeah. Yeah, so, but if you just pulled over, the traffic would continue and, and they would yeah. follow traffic rules and things like yeah, that. And that's just a really basic Liberty City right there. Yeah, it has tra- yeah, traffic lights and... Uh, pedestrians. Pedestrians, yeah, and you could... Yeah, change direction and yeah, yeah. I mean, you can play. It, you can play it today on. Like I said, uh, it's uh, you get it on the iPad on the iPhone in the ZX Spectrum thing, whatever they call it now. They keep renaming mm. it. Yeah, the Elite Systems thing. Yeah, Elite Systems thing because it was published by Elite, and uh, mm. yeah, I think it comes in the the default pack. Uh, yeah, but uh, it's worth checking out. Although the controls on the iPhone and the iPad are pretty pretty horrible. Someone's yeah. also said Syndicate. That's yeah, several people said Syndicate. That was, that was me. Yeah, I I mean for. Because I think in the original description it said a living, breathing world, yeah. and I think Syndicate for me was probably the first one that actually had that because you had you had uh, identifiable city structures like you know banks and offices and mm. people walking along the street and vehicles oh. and police cars. And Dark Lord Two had a lot of that, you know, inter- interplanetary stuff. What year? Oh, I think it was before. Um, Hang on, Star Glider Two. Yeah. Uh, let me just explain folks Chris is ill right now he's here yeah. out of just the, the <laughs> determination to see justice done on these games so yeah, thank you I'm very much Crop for, for coming I'm just suffering a bit I'm sorry uh, Nick, Nigel, j- just tell us when we're wrong how about <laughs> uh, 1986 apparently right so, okay. so after Syndicate was like 93 yeah 93 yeah. so uh, what Star was Okay, so because yeah. it had similar things. Where you um, certainly you, yeah, there was there was an interaction with different planetary systems, you know, hopping from one to the other to the other. Yeah. It wasn't. Uh, it was in the solar system as well. It wasn't in a vast galaxy, but it was still amazing. I loved that game. Played it for hours and hours. And and it was just a contemporary was uh, com, uh, carrier command, but yeah, yeah, that, that was def- that was different in that you had this enemy carrier doing things controlled by the computer so that was the only thing that was happening whilst you weren't doing anything well and you had volcanic eruptions occasionally yeah but it wasn't as dynamic something as I was was a I was a carrier command man I love carrier command a lot of people also mentioned body harvest on the N64 that was me again well that was the, the, the interesting thing about Body Harvest is that was Grand Theft Auto 3, so they, yeah. they oh, DMA Design, which then became Rockstar, became Rockstar North. They, yeah. they took their engine and um, mixed it with RenderWare, and that's what they created GTA 3 with it. I mean, the worlds in Body Harvest are huge, but unfortunately you can't see them because mm. there's so much fog. Yeah, because it's the N64, they couldn't <laughs> yeah. handle being but able to did, see that far in the distance, could they? But it did have all of the the major attributes that GTA had and it was a large open world you had vehicles it was a bit of a swampy world so it had a lot more water and things like that in it Um, and the main protagonist was this guy in a kind of Samus orange suit orangey yeah yeah. 
Um, it's a very kind of bare world if you're used to if you if you're looking for an early version of GTA 3 when you look at it you're like yeah. whoa seriously but it's it's kind of a strangulated link it had a huge, huge number of vehicles though mm. um, I've, I've had to well, I, I noticed the other day that that game was actually sat in my N64 so that's the last right. game I actually played on my N64 so. you literally haven't taken it out it's probably fossilised no no I, I play on the N64 quite often this is probably right. been in about a year but. okay <laughs> um, just this is a question though. You did specifically say 3D world. I mean, if yeah. you didn't say 3D world, then immediately go GTA. Well, no, yeah, and obviously GTA. And in fact, if you're not saying 3D, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, Zelda: Link to the Past actually has something of a, of a sandboxy feel about it. We all, we discussed this on the Sandbox Show, I think, with Zan, didn't we? Yeah. If you say Link to the Past, why can't you just say Zelda? Oh, yeah, but yeah, indeed. Zelda and and I, I suggested Ocarina and was, was told no on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, you're, you're into an RPG. Sorry, so. I'm a little bit confused. How is that happening? Things happening whilst you're not there. Certainly, when you encounter, I don't understand. Okay, well, no, I, I, seriously, I mean, Ocarina actually has that sense of day and night. I mean, it's it's kind of a magic trick, but you do feel like that the world is kind of coming and going without you. It's not really, but at the same time, in GTA, they're only really animating the stuff that's literally around you. The yeah. rest of it's all. I, th- I think there's someone suggesting Majora's Mask, which is an even better yeah. example. Yeah, that has that three yeah. day cycle. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but, okay. But definitely, um, I would say I know Syndicate is isn't polygonal; it's 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 uh, isometric. But it doesn't necessarily I, have to be polygonal. Just well, no. hang on, you, you you could do that same time passing thing with Night Law. Yes. It, when it went night time, you turn into a wolf. No, without yes. your control. I think it's the fact that things that scripted events are occurring even in the right. areas that you're not in, mm. which certainly Majora's Mask did. Yeah, and while it may not be explorable on foot in the first game, Driver on uh, 1999 on the PS1 yeah, feels yeah. very much like GTA 3 when you're driving around. It, yeah, it did, uh, yeah. It's you know very like polygonally, very triangular when you when you play it's it. An open world. But uh, yeah, if you remember the, the the best part of Driver was actually the mini game where you got the cops to just chase you and try to see how long you could survive, and they would batter the crap out of you and you just then film the whole thing it, that that was the best aspect of it and that opened the city for you you didn't actually have to stick to a specific area so that felt more like your rampages in GTA 3 uh, okay. isn't there a bit of a it might just be an internet myth but I'm sure I read somewhere that um, when Grand Theft Auto 3 was in development Driver came out and the guys from Rockstar took one look at it and went oh shit we've got this badly wrong and they, went, they went completely back to the drawing board and redesigned huge amounts of, of GTA 3. I would like to read the truth about that. I think oh, I, we even mentioned that in the sandbox episode. I did, yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah. I was shot down saying, this is not a sandbox game. What, driver? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not technically, but there were aspects of it that are kind of similar. Like I said, the uh, the open world aspects of the being bundled by cops, definitely. Certainly the tone, and even the lead character looks very similar. Okay, just let's do a small, because that was pretty huge, so let's just briefly talk about uh, which was the first racing game to successfully use polygons instead of just sprites. Well, I think this is, uni- I think it's pretty universally been confirmed, but I, I'm absolutely certain. Everyone said this one, hard same, driving. yep, hard yeah. driving, it's repeated yeah. all day. Yeah, yeah. Which, um, if you look at it today, I mean, if you look at still images of it, it looks really impressive. 1989. Um, if you saw it in motion, even the arcade cabinet, again, it was like, five frames per second it's pretty chuggy yeah. and um, that, that sounds was, like some hard driving right there <laughs> it was extremely difficult to it control was, uh, yeah. and the cabinet actually had a clutch and a 
gear stick so you could actually you know, could choose the difficulty level you wanted and if you cho- chose the highest you had to actually operate it like a real car um, but of course the gear stick was on the wrong side um, and yeah it was just there was no physics so although it was a well, hang on. If you lived in America, was it on the right side? Yeah. Yes. There you go. <laughs> the wrong side. Yeah. The wrong side. Um, but uh, yeah, because because so much of it was was you know power in the graphics, which um, uh, you know most of the vehicles I think probably had I don't know maybe maybe fifteen twenty cardinals in the polygons, so they were, they were quite detailed. Um, but there was no physics, so as soon as you turn, it was like you were a shopping trolley with the wheels in the middle. It was just impossible. Okay, and uh, what? which was the first console one? Because I've got Virtua Racing down here. That's uh, That was March 94 on the Mega Drive, and then the I, 32X in December. I would have said it was it was the um, uh, Jeff Crammond's stunt car racer. I, I was going to say stunt car racer. Oh, yes, that was actually on, yeah. Uh, that was on the Spectrum, Amstrad, C64, Atari ST, and Amiga. So. Yeah, so was it a console game then? Kind no. of, yeah. No, so uh, console would have thought Virtua then. Well, okay, hang on. Which was hang on? Stunt Race Effects was 1996, I think, wasn't it? So that was nah, that was a like a, a good uh, year or so afterwards. Sorry, carry on. No, I, I was going to say I remember doing Stunt Car Racer on my uh, Amiga or Amstrad. Mm, I Amiga. Yeah, but um, and being really blown, literally blown away by it. But it was really hard to control because it wasn't used to that kind of the three D world. And am I right in thinking you could kind of do weird jumps? It had big jumps there, but it had it had physics. It had proper physics. So I remember you know, it was really hard to control. Though. It was hard to control because the trank was banked. So if yeah. you took it too quick and you were at the top of the bank, the the physics pull you off yeah but it yeah. it had big jumps and I think it even had a loop the loop on one of them it did have a loop yeah. um, and it really had, hard to go around <laughs> it had proper the, uh, physics so it it, it, play, it actually played extremely well and it, it set the benchmark really for most driving games that followed mm. do you want to have an, another fun hard driving fact go on then first driving game to feature true force feedback mm-hmm. oh yeah the steering wheel was to jiggle yeah um, somebody said test drive from 1987 <sighs> I don't think that was polygonal, though. No, it okay. wasn't. I mean, you, wasn't. Could, you could say Turbo Esprit was polygonal if you say, say it. Yeah. Discounted, then. Uh, okay, right, Virtual Racing was actually in the arcades in 92, and March on the Mega Drive in 94. But June was Stunt Race Effects 94. I was wrong. It was the same year, right? literally just a couple of months afterwards. So I said the first original game on the a mainstream console using polygons rather than sprites probably was stunt race effects oh hang on oh first use of polygonal 3d yep driver's eyes namco 1987 on right the one no one's heard arcade no no, no it's got to be at home africa oh, it? Well, yeah well, well, i suppose hard- actually if it's if it was it would predate hard driving though well hard, hard driving was ported to uh yeah home, home yeah home computer. was it handled well it was exactly the same <laughs> <laughs> the even, yeah even, even slower yeah yeah. What was the name of that list in there? <coughs> Driver's Eyes. Wow. And those were the things that flew out of the screen as soon as you crashed.
Well, let's yeah. let's move on to something that was actually entirely accidental. Right. What happened in Street Fighter Two: The World Warrior, March 1991, arcade? Accidentally. Combo. Yep. The really? combo system. Right. All <laughs> fighting games would subsequently use as standard was in fact entirely accidental. Unintentionally, a bug in the game's code enabled the player to cancel during the animation of some moves by performing another move, allowing for a combination of several basic and special moves without giving your enemy time to react. So the combo and the cancel. Yep. <laughs> That's a pretty good Well, technically the combo was caused by a cancel, um, right. but they just made the cancel more of a straightforward move later on in Street Fighter 4. Cancels have become huge in Street Fighter so, like, now. Was it, no, was it poor? Oh, God, I don't want to, I don't want, I mean, all the fighting uh, game enthusiasts are going, no, it was on the Neo Geo in, in Super Toshinden. So, I don't know, it's not a Neo Geo game. But it was a glitch then. In Super Garumak at the Wolves. It was a glitch that they exploited. Yeah. And exploit becomes a feature. See, there is. A bug's a feature. Yay. So, yeah, obviously everyone loved the, the combos in that. I think possibly when when Virtua Fighter came along, that really showed us that, that you know, intentional combos could be put together. So I think Virtua Fighter was a huge, important one in that particular tree. That's only a couple of years later as well, wasn't it? Uh, November 93, so yeah, two two years more. But uh, things have really changed in between those. I was trying to think if, if there's any more innovations Shuffle. that fighting games you know we could talk about but really the only one would be combos because 3ds they, they've never really i mean it's like 2.5 3ds probably the best you can get in a fighting game i think they probably in terms of arcade they really made it about being competitive mm. before i mean before there were competitive arcade games but one-on-one fighters really made it so that whenever you were fighting someone else would be fighting with you and that made twice as many coins which kept arcades alive for a few extra years couldn't last forever, but... Uh, yeah, and it didn't. But, you know, ultimately, just, just Street Fighter 2 was enough to actually make everyone suddenly go, ooh, fighting games. Okay, so speaking of trying to kill each other, <laughs> online deathmatch multiplayer. Now, this one doesn't go too far back, does it? Maze War, 1974. What the hell? This is on systems I've never even heard of. The Imlac PDS-1, the Next computer, the Palm OS, and the Xerox Star. What? Mainframes, isn't they? Yeah. Yep. Explain. What was Maze War? <laughs> You're in a maze, and... Uh, to find it. It's, an, uh, it's something by NASA. Yeah. So was this, was this actually physically... People were actually fighting against each other on the internet? Well, it's, it wouldn't have been the internet, because... Yeah, well, well, I don't know, would have even been ARPANET then. I think. Well, it was just basically a message oh. board with guns. Well, no, because it was a mainframe, so basically you were using a dumb terminal. Right. So you do have like a VT100 terminal, it's like a big green, like a green screen thing with a raster display, basically. Uh-huh. Uh, and those could be anywhere around the world, um, and uh, they would connect to the mainframe. It's the mainframe would do all the processing. Most banks today still use <laughs> mainframes, you know, so yeah. all the processing is done on one big machine, and you, a when whopper. you use the... A whopper, yeah. Like yeah. a wallpaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. um, so all the processing is done on that. So all you do, all that's sent to your screen is just the, the video output. Okay, Windows so how output. would you control it? Would you just keystrokes or? You had the, key, you had the keyboard, yeah. yeah. So you, your dumb terminal was basically just a screen with a keyboard and that was it. Right. I want to think game. on live circa 1973. <laughs> <laughs> so it was written by, um, by a guy called Steve Colley. At NASA Ames, uh, Ames Research Center. Mm-hmm. It ran on the IMLAC PDS-1 computer first. That's and you connected two of them via serial port. That's yeah. how it worked. 
that was, was yeah serial ports were used to send the data down the wire basically so yeah yeah okay so did you just say forward slash kill person um, you, would, <laughs> you, would you would see green lines would on slash the screen, take cover and you'd be able to issue commands on the keyboard you know you have priest keys on the keyboard and the mainframe would interpret that and then change what you see oh my god like DOS it's like <laughs> just imagine your console now but with everyone having their own screen and very very long wires it sounds like an argument in semaphore <laughs> okay hey, it's going to start somewhere isn't it really indeed it's pioneering stuff okay well, so the thing is the, 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 the basic building blocks of the internet what would become ARPANET started back then so yeah. that's you know yeah. things like TCP IP and that were pioneered during yeah. okay so fast forwarding 13 years to MIDI maze uh, in 1987 okay. on the Atari ST uh, yeah. was that LAN only I believe that sort yes of, it yeah. was so you had yeah. to connect by serial cables did you play this Gary I never played it I just read about no, it no I used to we used you had to, to kill smiley faces and I do remember using on the Game Boy the null, null modem cables with the yeah. meters and networking those up I used that to play Populous and Falcon yeah and same thing yeah I did that, but you know, I didn't never played MIDI maze because MIDI maze. The unique part about it was it used, hence the name, it used the MIDI ports that were built into Atari ST. Ah. The very reason why people still use them in music studios to this day, uh, for for um, because they can hook it up to their keyboards and synthesizers and stuff. But you can actually use it as a communic. Well, the MIDI maze thing used it as a communication device as well. But, but yeah, I don't I'm think say you could use a keyboard as controller there. Yeah. Okay, so, but the first time people got into what could be considered by even vaguely modern day standards as a death match, where you've got a gun, they've got a gun, you're a person, they're a person, you're trying to kill them, they're trying to kill you, was Wolfenstein 3D, right? Uh, May 1992 on DOS and Mac and Amiga and various other systems. Uh, And obviously made by a year before Doom came out, so it's pretty much Doom, but with Nazis. Yeah, yep. and then it wasn't really 3D. It's too lofty, if that. So, so yeah. what was the K that we were doing back then? Less than 32. Probably it'd be nine point nine point six or nine point six. Yeah, yeah maybe less. It may be five point four. Or um, if you're really really flash, fourteen point one. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm pretty sure back then it would have been those those two lower ones. But yeah. to be honest with you, you don't. I mean, this is a, the common myth today when people are playing online games and they're going on a map. They've got like a five meg connection and all this. It's irrelevant <laughs> because you're actually when you're playing an online multiplayer game, you actually send very little data. The the real yes. issue is the latency, which is the yeah. the speed at which you get the the packet back. So mm-hmm. uh, you could have, a, you know, a gigaquad. Uh, broadband connection, but if your latency is crap, it's not going to make any difference. It's a gigaquad. No, not at all. L- latency is caused by the sp- how fast the speed of light travels down copper or fiber optics. So it's it's a fixed amount. And latency is made worse by when you send data. Obviously, it makes multiple hops as it reaches various switches and servers. Uh, the more switches and servers, and the more different types of cable that your message goes down, the worse the latency gets. So, give you an example. Um, if I send data to India uh, or do like uh, handshaking between a computer in India, then the latency is going to be about 500 milliseconds. Something like that. Just because yeah, because of the distance, because there's so much copper and fibre between there. So it'll probably have about 13 hops. It'll actually hit 13 different servers and switches between here and India. 
And you wonder why they described it as a series of tubes. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most head mashingly technical episode we've done for a long I tried, time. I tried to keep it simple. One of the ways microscope. You may as well just have said a wizard creates a well, special no, he, unicorn that takes your message to India. I'll put it into layman's terms. The easiest way to describe it is to think of latency like potholes. Okay, so you can drive down a motorway at seventy yep. miles an hour, but if that motorway's got potholes in it, you'll you'll be reduced to about thirty. And that's gotcha. basically what happens. I can't drive either. If, if, <laughs> that's what I, the roads are like now. Which is Unreal fit into this as well. Sorry. Unreal Tournament's 98, so Unreal's 96 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We never actually talked about Unreal during that episode where we talked about, we did 1998. <laughs> but, um, we actually have to talk about Unreal at some point. When, when we do the 1999 episode, maybe. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Unreal was pretty important as a game if not in itself for the engine yeah he used 3dfx people went oh look that's why i got a 3dfx card yeah. awesome and i think unreal tournament was a bigger game than people seem to remember you know yes, you always get to do in quake but yeah quake 3 arena and unreal tournament were up against each other and quite frankly right. i found the unreal tournament much better game moving swiftly on so. no don't because quake 3 arena was the first time that tony and i at least i think got into a console uh, sh- uh shooter fps um, Deathmatch well, types I, I now. I played Unreal or Dreamcast. Quake and Doom on PC actually back then, but the, the first, definitely the first console. I mean, yeah. Anybody's first console stuff because that was the first one technically went. Yeah, Dreamcast had uh, oh, Intel PC. inside. Yeah, yeah, it was that. It was it Quake is. 3. Uh, I'm sorry, October 2000 on the Dreamcast. I mean, ultimately, Halo 2 kind of then redefined what uh, console, at least, uh, FPSs would be like. And then Modern Warfare came along in uh, November 2007 and said, no, you're going to fill up bars. And everybody started doing I'm, that. We'll do that in a bit. I'm not even sure that... Was was Halo 2 the first one? Oh, it wasn't uh, the first one, but it was the one that set the tone. Because uh, for November me, it would, have, it would have been one of the Rainbow Six games because that was like the first one that had proper... Uh-huh. No, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. Yeah, the original Rainbow, Rainbow Six. Yeah. And, uh, and the Ghost Recon games. as well. Yeah. So, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Rainbow Six was, was huge in the deathmatch scene as well as... Uh, but would, you, would it be fair to say that Halo 2 was pretty big? I think it was the first one to, in, to introduce playlists. Yeah. 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 Um, which had a massive um, impact on the way these things work. Because, I mean, you know, when you're talking about the dream, Dreamcast, I mean, I loved playing Quake on the Dreamcast, but that was the, that was the problem, is that sometimes getting a game could take ages. Mm. Um, whereas when they introduced playlists, it, it took away all the complexity, because you just literally turned it on, pressed the button, and away you went. You know, on the Dreamcast, wouldn't it also let you put put you up against people who actually had the PC version of Quake 3? It did, yeah. yeah. Good idea. Really good idea. They've all got a uh, quick look on the mouse, and you're stuck, stuck with your joypad. Great. Unless you had a mouse and a keyboard. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Mouse and keyboard. Yeah. But on your lap, so that was never going to be the Most years to have mine on a tray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Fully analog-controlled, three-dimensional platforming. Now, the fully analog-controlled thing is the important thing here, because obviously people have said Jumping Flash, which came out in April 1995, and that was definitely a platform game. And um, there's got to have been, like, spectrum-based platform games we have no idea about that were 3 I was going to say, if we're talking analog, does that include trackables? Oh, yeah. Okay, so things like Marble Madness and, and mm, Cuba. Of course, yeah. What years were they? Oh, crikey, Cuba is a really early 80s one, isn't it? So, Well, it let's see. I had an television version of Cuba, so that must have been 81. Uh, I mean, 88. 82. Yep. Oh, okay. Marble Madness was 84. So, yeah, yeah they were both early. 
Would you call them 3D platform? I suppose so, actually. Marvel it's, Mavis, it's, it's, it's yeah. asymmetric, isn't it? Because so. yeah. it's not yeah. character. Let's talk about the ones which actually required an analog stick, as in when the N64 was in, in development, they said, right, we've got we to gotta bring Mario into a third dimension, and, and they developed it from the ground up using that particular control scheme. So most people have answered to this one. Super Mario 64, June 1996. Mm. Mm. A couple of people also said Nights into Dreams, which came out July 1996 on the Saturn. Yes. And mm. uh, I think the Saturn pad didn't naturally have analog, but they could bought an analog pad, which worked yeah. for an analog stick, which mm. worked very well with uh, Nights. Yeah. Did you ever actually touch down on the ground in Nights, or were you always flying? No, mm-hmm. I played this very recently. And yeah. I don't remember ever touching the ground. Right? No. Just so you just start off the level flying. Yeah. yeah so I think it's constantly hovering and stuff. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, so can it truly be called a platformer then? If there's um, no platforms to stand on. It has, you can move in all six directions, can't you? So, yeah. so you can also do the same in res. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, I'm so. to go with Super Mario 64. It seems to be the, the first big yeah. one. And it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's cemented I everything. Think, I think you're going to have to, really. Now, yeah. When you think about Mario 64 and you think about how smooth the control scheme was, you then think, oh, it's way better than Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider came out afterwards. Mm. October 1996, uh, like, you know, a couple of, a couple of months afterwards, and, and it rem- remember how geometric and incredibly blocky Lara's movements were going up against the wall. No, no, <laughs> yeah, well, all of her, everything about her was all blocky and angular. But the, yeah, the genius <laughs> of, of, of the genius of Mario 64 and the uh, 64 pad wasn't so much the analog stick; it was the C buttons. Mm. It's often overlooked. Free run camera, of course, yeah. Yeah, it was the it was the ability, and what was his name? The little dude in the cloud. I can't remember his name now. He was the camera, wasn't he? Mitch. Um, yes. Is it Mitch? Mitch Meister. No, sort of like Naraku or something like that. Yeah. He was he was he was first in um was it Mario Kart? Yes, he was. Yeah. He used to used to drop the flags and he used to come down and do the traffic light stuff. You know the the go lights and yeah, he was like this little character dude. I never knew what he's called. But he's funky little glasses on. He looks like a little worm, and he's floating around <laughs> on a cloud, which is fine because I'm he's just Mario. looking at the plot from Super Mario 64, such as it is. Uh, it, it involves the, the main MacGuffin is that Princess Peach has baked a cake for you. Remember? Yeah. So yeah. that's a good reason to go to a castle. But you just you just think about how that really did change the industry. It's it's just I'm thinking the way that there's like a balance when you move in Mario, and suddenly you pull the analog stick back again, and there's like a slight time delay. Yep. It's almost like the weight is shifting. They, they got it so right on yeah. almost the first attempt. It's, n- it's not just in terms of moving the industry forward, it's in terms of what it did for Sega. That's the big yeah. thing. You know, Sega just, that's when it all unraveled for them, when, yeah. when the N64 came along. Yeah. yeah. Saturn was extremely good in 2D, but not so good in 3D, let's face it. Massively multiplayer online role-playing games. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Right, now we cannot possibly in any way sum up 
the full history of massively multiplayer online multiplayer games in this one podcast because yeah. we need a whole show for that. Which yeah. we're going to do we're in the next one. few weeks. <laughs> we are having one. But we do we do have to at least mention that they spawned from something called MUDs. Yeah. Now over to the wizards. <laughs> <laughs> That's as much as I know. Multi-user dungeon. That's as much as I know. Text-based, um, I believe. I was like, this is one for Chris because I, I never really understood. Well, I never really got into MUDs. Okay, well, how does a text-based game of any kind become Warcraft sorry World right. of Warcraft where's its roots yeah how does right. it what, what's the transition I believe it started life in Surrey University Essex University what, oh, it was Essex or Surrey nice. I can't remember which one it was it was Essex and it spawned from a game called Adventure there's a game called Adventure or Colossal Cave or varieties therein hang on a second Adventure was wasn't Adventure the one with the single dot that you move around a big Square thing on no, the. No, that was the Atari. No, I'm talking. Well, actually, that was inspired by Adventure. I'm talking about the text game that was on. Main also Street. called Adventure, though, right? You can see why yeah. I get confused. Yeah, uh, and uh, I played it first on the Spectrum, and it's called Colossal Adventure. Okay, but uh, nevertheless, it, it's 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 famous because it has you are standing next to a hut. You can go east, west, north, and that sort of stuff, or or cottage. I think it was. Anyway. From that, people love playing this game. They just adored it. And the people in... Well, no, no, hang on, hang on. You way breezed over that. You have got to describe in, in words that, that someone like Midgemeister, who's only ever oh, known right. 3D, yeah. can understand what a text-based adventure is. So you have to, what, right. keystroke in, I would no, like no, to go north. No, 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 you wouldn't, because you wouldn't understand that. Oh, um, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the... We had something called uh, a parser. Uh, it's basically a vocabulary that it could understand. Right. Complex phrases like, I would like to go north. It would go, I'm oh, sorry, I don't understand that. Forward slash north? No, you'd actually just type in go north or simply N, and it would go north. Yes. Okay. Um, but as in, in modern parlance, they're called interactive fiction. And right. You download these now. Okay. Uh, they're a whole new genre. It's still bubble along. I mean, they're very creative. They they inspire imagination because you're just reading text and you're interacting with the world via text. Hang on, was Zork one of these? Or yes. I... Yep. Yes. Ah, I know one. There's 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 a, there's a um, that's a big internet meme thing. You know, uh, um, it is dark. I was yeah. trying to find Zork. It doesn't seem to be easy to find and play. No, I've, I've got the Zork collection, which I think is very rare now. Can't also, you just, why couldn't they just do that on the iPhone? I mean, if it's that simple. Well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I, I, I don't really I bother looking for Zork because I have the thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm well, sure one of our listeners uh, can give me a link to a Zork. So, so the, the, the point is that this game was extremely compelling. There's that word. But it was because you were interacting with this world. Things would happen. And you had to solve puzzles by picking up items and, it, and, and interacting with those items and then going to places with those items and not being able to go to somewhere because you haven't done something beforehand. If this all sounds rather familiar, that's because it was the precursor to point-and-click adventures. Point-and-click adventures came about to get rid of all these typing commanding because it was quite laborious. Um, so, you know, the SCUM universe or the SCUM's interface that was uh, pioneered by LucasArts you know, started all that off. So, for example, you are standing in the cave of an evil wizard. All around you are the carcasses of slain ice dwarves. Yes. What do you do? Throw thermal pod? 
No, that's right. I know that's <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. But um, that is one of them, that, right? That was Sierra. Only that actually had a proper graphical they had, interface. They, they had a, that was a hybrid, so you had an inter- a graphics interface, right. and then you had you, you typed in commands. Was that an actual game? There were games like that, like King's Quest and stuff like that. Right, right, okay. Now, I'm drifting off here. So, yeah. uh, as, as, so of our listeners. As, as, as interactive fiction went off and did graphical interfaces, like The Hobbit is a classic example. Yep. One My of the earliest graphical. Yeah, you would play that just to see the next screen. But people in Essex University thought, you know, it would be cool if we could actually, rather than people sitting around and going, oh, try this or try that, it would be great to actually be in that world with other people. Right. And actually interact with other people in that same world, and then talk to each other, and then trade items with each other, and then fight the other creatures in that. Extra gold. And then dance on the voila, table with pants on. Yes, and voila, the 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 mud was born, uh, or the multi-user dungeon, no less. And uh, they started off from these mainframe terminals, and universities across the world grabbed hold of this thing and just ran with it. And uh, so MIT and um, uh, Caltech and all the usual suspects mm-hmm. of the universities, of very high t- techy sort of universities, were you know just playing these muds, and they eventually spread onto uh, the internet, uh, and they used something called Telnet. I don't think they actually used these days, <laughs> but uh, I did actually use Telnet, and Telnet was a as a as a, a, a terminal emulator for how uh, the uh, the old uh, mainframes used to work. And they were, you could, you could play MUDs, and there was no charge for these things. You could just interact with people all across the world. And it was like a glorified chat room in many regards, which many people regard MMOs to be anyway. <laughs> but it was all via text, so there was no graphics at all. Trying to imagine that, you know, you, all your commands were typing in, you'd see a creature, and there's still items of the phrases that were used in those days that were carried through to modern day gaming like the best example Dwarf Need Manor yeah well it's that but um, what I'm thinking of is mob now no one really bats an eye and goes oh look there's a few mobs over there what on earth does that mean mob mobile unit yeah mobile thing mobile creature yeah and in the mud parlance it means a creature that moves from one room to another it was like, oh my god, it's moving. This creature's moving. It's a mob. It was a major innovation at the time in, in MUDs, but now, like, you know, of course it is. But, you know, it, was, yeah, it sounds hilarious. But it's, it's got to start somewhere, isn't it? So, um. How would I want my goblins to just sit in the corner with an axe and wait for me to come and attack them? And towards the mid 90s, when the internet came into fruition, uh, there, there was an explosion of MUDs because they were so easy to set up. And there was even MUDs for Discworld and, and Tolkien, of course. But even there was science fiction ones, there was romantic ones, all sorts of nonsense going on. There were loads of them, mainly inhabited by students. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> imagine. Folks with a lot of time on their hands. Okay. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but it, 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 sorry, it's just, it, it kind of says something, you know, that the first commercial MMO was 1996. That's how good and popular MUDs were. They, they lasted that long. Yeah, I've been told uh, Meridian 59, which is 1995, was one of the first commercial uh, okay. MMOs. So, yeah. is that the one you're thinking of? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. I was a beta tester for that. Ah, uh, I remember when it came out, and it was like, wow, all the things. That was it like wow? <laughs> steady. <laughs> Sorry, I remember at the time thinking, this is incredible. It's all 
the the representation of what was in my head when I was playing the Muds, which I didn't play that much of, I dabbled with them because I I loved the idea of them, but the execution of them was just awful. Right. It was so impenetrable, it was so like laborious, and I had other things to do, like shoot people in the face in, in Duke, uh, or indeed Quake. So I'm thinking, well, it, so I wanted the, uh, um, you know, you could say it's shallow of me, but I wanted the graphical interface one. Where you could shoot and, goblins in the face well, indeed. and, and see was, your work. It was very, uh, it was all Doom-like in that, the, the, it wasn't 3D, it was 2.5D. All mm. the creatures you were attacking were simple sprites. Yeah. But it, it followed the same... At a front and a rear, I'd imagine, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, that's all they had. But there was definite... There was a level progression. There was creatures you could kill. And there was other creatures you, you couldn't kill unless you reached a certain level. You would get poisoned. It was all the same things that we now know in... I believe it's still going. It's uh, it's um, held open by the original creators or something like that. So, you know, that's free right. service. It, 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 it was it was bought out by 3DO. 3DO published it for a while when you know when they died as a console, and yep. then 3DO went belly up, and so did this game. But then you know this game was running at the same time, mm. and most people migrated from it to Ultima Online. Oh, significantly, though, this is one of the first ones. No, this was the first one with a subscription, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, okay, so that, that's when we can first really consider what the current model of an MMO yes. would be. Yeah. I, I had a, I had a guild. I had a, you know, it was all there. All the tropes. There's a word that we now know of MMO land was started in that game. Absolutely. Nineteen Ten years before Warcraft. Is mm. how relatively young that genre is then? I mean, obviously it's nine years. Placated by the internet coming along, and yeah, that's what. So the, the start yeah. of the nineties. Yeah. So, you know, there's a reason maybe why it's, it's later than the most. But when we're talking like, so that's 95, Meridian's 95, and really the first proper big one, I guess what we would class something like EverQuest, maybe Ultima Online is 97, 99. It's only like 10, 11 years old. You know, yeah. 15 at, at most, which in gaming terms yeah. is, is nothing at all. Well, it's a genre. 30 really, but yeah, it's, it's very young genre. I, I was really excited when it was kicking off and, I remember playing EverQuest for the first time. I remember importing it from the United States to play the bloody thing and being eaten by a lion because I went too far away from the main city. <laughs> you fool! Uh, yeah. But understanding the concept and why EverQuest is a, a, a pain. It was ironically titled because there were no quests. You know? And it goes on forever. Yeah, and it did go on forever, but it was because you were just grinding all the time. There was very mm. little quests. You had to dig out quests. You had to find that quest from from other people from word of mouth. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was bizarre. It was really You've got a bizarre. quest to go and pick this flower. It's on the top of yeah, this mountain. Uh, that's right, yeah. Oh. It was ridiculous. You had to be There's no experience, but you're just doing it for the, for the fun. No, no so, you, yeah, it's very strange. Very so strange. we don't cover too much of this, obviously, because we'll be doing this in a couple of yes. times. Yes. Yeah. Is but there anything, I mean, the other side of EverQuest, maybe EverQuest is, we'll probably get onto that in the, in the MMO show. So Ultima yeah. Online, is, is that one really worth talking about? Uh, Ultima yeah. Online, I think we should definitely thank and I definitely think we should raise it because it was extremely um, adventurous, not, excuse the pun, uh, but what I'm trying to say is that it took away um, a lot of uh, the controls that video that, that MMOs have now and basically just gave the world to the player, much like an Ultima 8, said, off you go, do what you like. Uh, Knock yourself out, people. There was no controls about PvP. There was no controls about um, what you could make, what you could sell. It was just, just here's the tools, here's, here's some skills, here's some, you know, the leveling wasn't there. It was 
it was there was you weren't level X three four five. You didn't ding or anything like that. You just whatever <laughs> you had, you yeah, you, whatever you kept on doing, you'd improve that. I mean, I was, you know, you'd be a journeyman miner, and then you'd be uh, like a, a, a fighter or something. You'd have to have. It was the only game I've ever known. I would say this to people when they started playing Ultima Online and said, "You do know you have to be solvent before you start adventuring." Seriously, that was the way words I'd use. Solvent. In other words, you have to be self-sufficient um, in money and food before we went out adventuring. So people would call it the wood chopping sin, the mining sin, because you wouldn't actually adventure at all. You'd actually just pop down to the local mountain top, chip away at the, ma- the rocks, and then get some ore, melt, smelt the ore, and then you'd actually make items and sell them to other people or to 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 uh, NPCs. And that's just to be able to afford the repair costs, or, or no, just. To, to be able to buy equipment for yourself. Right. It was really that. It was that, yeah, to survive. To Did, were there not no loot drops or what? No. No. Yeah. Why'd you bother? It was, it, was you, it was you versus the world. That's the point. It's, it's, Without uh, loot, what is an RPG? Yeah, the loot was actually made by other people, and you'd actually kill them for it, and that sort of thing. You know, nice. There was big battles. I was part of an army. I was sergeant arms, and that sort of thing. And we would have these big clashes, and it was we'd summon demons at each other, and have big castles, and it was a big siege battle. It was all because we built it ourselves. It wasn't placed there by the game. Mm. The game gave us the tools to make uh-huh. these things, and people would make their own cities and their own towns, and you go in there. See, in my head, not- this is a lot more graphically impressive than it probably <laughs> was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining Lord of the Rings here, not the sounds- MMO Lord of the Rings. I mean, I had my own boat as well. We went around cruising around places, and then there were dungeons and stuff, but there weren't... You were on like, a boat? Yeah, uh, on a boat. <laughs> uh, but there were, there were dungeons and things, but you just go in there... To you know, for the sake of it, so you could. Because I went in there, and it was it was treacherous and foul, and you 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 always get poisoned. That was the one thing that would. And when you died, there wasn't all you just sort of reappear. And when you died, all your stuff was left there for anyone. So oh. if you just died, anyone could just pick it up and go, oh, "I'll have that," because you know you died. Oh that was my it. god! It's the ultimate. It was so vicious. Now over time, they dumbed that down and they got rid of all of that and they made it much more care bear like. But you know, the original, in original, <laughs> original, uh, original hardcore version, uh, it was just you. I don't uh, think slightly less than the absolute evil is Care Bear. <laughs> so um, Satan, you know, Care Bear. <laughs> There's nothing um, in between. No, it, it is something that we're aiming for now, isn't it? We're, we're more about the immersive experience. It doesn't always have to be like a gameplay element to it that you can just yeah. wander. Yeah. We're kind of so, heading back towards that. The, the, the thing, it was very Demon exciting. Songs. It was very exciting and very fun. Uh, I remember carrying around this. I ended the game with this massive halberd. I was a miner and a warrior, which is a perfect combo because you could mine. You could. Uh, I was also a blacksmith as well, so I could make my own armor. And I'd actually sort of uh, repair my own armor, and I was very, very, very strong <laughs> because I've been mining for most of my career in the game. I so when I, when I swung this halberd, it would like one chop. <laughs> dead you know it's fantastic uh but uh, it got me a lot it took me a long time to get there and uh, it does it all everything you've been talking about does apart from the user created stuff does sound like it was adapted into warcraft to be just much more accessible yes does, i mean how much did uh, what came after ultima online how much uh, were you talking about everquest there or were you talking about ultima online no i was talking about uh, ultima online uh, okay. everquest came after right. uo 
Okay. So uh, how much of uh, EverQuest then contributed to Walkoff? Remember, we've got to be brief here. 90%. 90%. So basically, Walkoff just stood on the shoulders of geniuses yeah. and did it better. Much better. And now they've eaten the entire market. The one thing that Walkoff did that was a genius thing to do was do away, for the most part, with zones. Um, zones is a unique element of, of MMOs. It still exists in many other MMOs to this day, but Warcraft is immune from it. Right. Um, basically, the, the, the classic phrase was, when you encountered a monster you couldn't cope with or you overwhelmed, you would run to the zone. Running to the zone is basically you go to this invisible wall right. and it would magically port you into this other place, and the monsters would never follow you. Right. <laughs> so that's why you do it. Uh, many other games to this day have this zoned well, the benefit of having a zoned situation or a zoned environment is that you have very bordered encapsulated zone that you can have rich with graphical splendour right. it'll look fabulous just like uh, Conan game at the moment that's a glorious looking Age game absolutely yeah Age of Conan is a glorious looking game but it's zones and the problem with that is that you become disassociated with where you are in the world you're just in these little weird zones. They're not, they're not really connected. You can't see to the next one. It just suddenly yeah. appears. So there's a disconnect from what you're actually doing. From, you don't what immerse you yourself do. fully. Okay. Exactly. Whereas uh, in World of Warcraft, you can stand on top of a mountain, look across, and it goes on and on and on, and you could walk there. Or fly there. Or fly there. And you just keep going and going. It's very, there are lots of parts in and there's this different continents. Mm. <clears throat> they are linked by, by loading screens like the zones, but they're not... You know, they're, they're, they're like, you have to go on a ship, or you have to, that sort of thing, to actually get to them. Yeah. Whereas, for the most part, you could just walk from one end of the continent to the other without entering a single loading screen. And that, that was very important for, for Warcraft. That, for me, was the big changing point, the fact that you could actually say, you know, I'm not going from one zone to another, I'm just in the world. And yeah. it created, it linked you as a player to the universe, and it was one of the many genius things that Blizzard did with, with Warcraft and why 12 people, 12 million people play it to this day. I'm, I'm sure you'll talk about it next week just very quickly, but, um, you know, it's, it's very important when talking about MMOs and, you know, Tony talked about how young they are to realize, you know, they're probably the most, in terms of how long they've been around, one of the most influential genres on gaming, mm-hmm. you know, um, in terms of being progress based and now how much of gaming is in terms of online progress based you know we've got perks and call of duty you can't play an online game now without levels and this is all this is all mmorpgs which is funny because they took it from rpgs obviously originally there's only till world of warcraft made it so obviously lucrative you know Mm. there's 12 million subscription base and people realize well hang on you can this is crack you can you can get people stuck on this thing if you just keep them playing online over and over and now every online game is and then it's actually fed back into rpgs now so we've got lots of you know, much more open world, um, progress based games like, you know, Final Fantasy 13 is in very, in many ways an MMORPG in itself. Well, I would have thought 12 would have been a better. Similarly. Yeah, 12 is, is a, is a, probably is a better example. And you yeah. can go to some of the Bethesda games. And well, 11 is an actual MMO. I was going to mention yeah. that's the first one that came onto consoles. Is, uh, am right. I- it no, a, it wasn't. Okay. A fantasy style. Ever, oh, no, hang on. EverQuest was on the No, Xbox. no, no. EverQuest no, no. was PS2. on the PS2. Oh, of course. Sorry. It's all right. Final Fantasy Eleven. I hear it was brilliant. You could oh, spend no. hours killing one bunny Have rabbit. You see what's happened with fourteen? Oh boy, disaster! Is it still free to play? Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> what a disaster! Oh, we'll talk about that in a few weeks. Yeah, I think we will. 
So, okay, well, actually, on that particular subject, um, shall we just discuss which was the first first-person shooter with character growth in multiplayer, possibly inspired by World of Warcraft? Now, you'd imagine. Well, we know which one everyone's thinking. We know which one everyone's thinking. I'm going to go, oh, Call of Duty for Modern Warfare. Because remember, back back when you played the bank to Tony, you were like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. You, 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 you it's can, like an RPG. But it's, it's like an RPG. You, you, I, I just kept going with my Uzi just to level my Uzi up. And then I was on the M16, and it was like, awesome. Not the first one to do it. Was it Rainbow Six? It was the... apparently Rainbow Six yeah. Vegas, November yeah. 2006, uh, yeah. the, as opposed to November 2007, one year later, Call of Duty 4. Uh, so, I mean, I never played Vegas. What? what you, do you get kit? I mean, do you what? Do you level it up? You, you get, um, yeah, you, you unlock guns and outfits, basically, different yeah. to armor. Put armor yeah. on. Was yeah. Rainbow Six Vegas the one where you could put your own face on the dude? Yes. Yeah. Ah. Um, may I sort of muddy the waters just a little bit? Muddy away. Because um, I know this is quite qualified, but it would be a nice sort of subsect to this discussion, if I may. Uh, RPGs that that uh, are ostensibly also uh, RP, the, the first-person shooters. Like um, Planet Side. Well, no. That's an MMO. Oblivion? No. Oblivion? No. So, <laughs> what, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm trying to think of origins here. So earlier than that, oh, I you said you were talking about the first. Are you just looking for examples? <laughs> no, no, no. I did. I, I sort of said that there was a game that I encountered and still have to this day called Strife. It's a uh, first-person shooter, but it's an it's an RPG. So you actually buy equipment, and you actually in order to buy it, you have to buy ammunition and right. buy gear and stuff in order to what improve and it. Would uh, this have changed the game for RPGs or for shooters? It was it was shooters because it, it, it changed you depending. You didn't just find weapons on the ground. You had to buy them. Right. You had to engage with the world. You had to barter with people. You had to inter- inter- interact with people and characters in order to get through. Well, what year was this? Oh, I, you have to look it up. But it was Strife. I think it was 95, okay. 96. But it was for the PC. Can we not? Count kind of something like Counter Strike in this as well. I mean, you weren't when I mean, you were trying to get kills to, to earn money to buy your next set of weapons. Yeah. It, wasn't a, yeah. it wasn't a progressive. I'm going to keep this all the time as no. a character. Mm. But no. it was definitely you know for that short period of time that you're earning this just for that play session. Well, you know, you could. No, I'm not going to go there. I was going to say, Gary, maybe you can back me up with this. What about UFO, Enemy Unknown, or XCOM? I know they weren't first-person shooter, but you did level up those characters. Strife was ninety six. There you go. Yeah. Um, that's that's it's a strategy game, but it's turn based strategy yeah, game. Turn based strategy. Yeah. The UFO uh, enemy unknown. Yeah. Ninety four. That was the game that uh, had. Uh, you could buy it now on Steam um, for twelve p. I think. But um, it, uh, it it that that where you started off with characters yeah. level one. You just you yeah. Know, level up. You could research um, new weapons and yeah. new equipment. So the, would you say that these were like formative uh, games in in terms of influencing later developers who went on to do that kind of progressive yeah. leveling up of a character? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, when did Elder Scrolls? When did Elder Scrolls get its um its Ooh. ideas from someone else? Because the whole idea that everything you do in Oblivion, you know, running, reading. You know, stabbing people in the dark, pickpocketing, all adds slowly to a progressive list of bars. Um, well, Morrowind, uh, there was before that, and that was free free roaming and 
that was its prequel. Then before that was Daggerfall, a similar thing. Right. I can't remember if Arena had that. Gary, do you remember? I, I never played that. I mean, the first one I played was Morrowind. Oh, I see. You never played Arena. Okay, I'll have to look up Arena, but that was the first one. Mm. All buggy as hell, by the way. So the whole buggy thing has been with Bethesda since day zero. That's nice to know. <laughs> I was trying to remember whether Heretic had some form of. Uh, no, uh, that was a that was a fantasy FPS and yeah, pure, but I don't think there's any leveling going on. You just picked up different weapons. I thought you could unlock different things, but no, you just picked up different wands and spells okay. and stuff. I think it's this not, is a good one for people to tell us, you know, if they've got one that really we're missing here, because mm. I'd be hard to believe that Rainbow Six Vegas is the first one that well, it, really started taking that. But in terms of multiplayer, the idea that you would keep doing the multiplayer because your character would be getting better all the yeah. time. Yeah. I, I had not really heard, I didn't play Rainbow Six much but at all, but uh, I, when COD 4 came along, I was like, ah, this actually might get me to play it more. And then I played it. And I thought the shit kicked out of me. <laughs> um, repeatedly. I went over until my head fell off. I don't think game designers really set about incentivising mm. online playing that way until more recently. Certainly in, in the MMO world, definitely they did, because they want to keep you playing, to yeah, yeah. get your subscription. But, but now everything does it. Blur does it. and you know. they're, they're doing it for different reasons. They want you to keep hold of that game as yeah. long as possible, yeah. so that they can feed you DLC and yeah. uh, various other things. So that's why these things are starting to creep in, because they're trying to encourage you to keep hold of them and yeah. carry on playing them. Um, on the subject of RPGs, uh, Tony and I were discussing which JRPG uh, first contained speech, because for, for us it was like, well, we, we were kind of new to the uh, genre in the late 90s, uh, and so we, you know, for, for me, the difference was between Final Fantasy IX, no speech, Final Fantasy X, suddenly they're speaking, and Tita sounds like a little bitch, and I I liked some of the speech in uh, Final Fantasy X, then sometimes there was, ha, 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 yeah. Which am I the one who doesn't hate that scene? Yeah. Sorry, am, am, am I the only one. person who doesn't hate that scene? Because everyone seems to... I don't know, I kind of took it as, you know, that was the first game I had with speech, really. <laughs> the first Japanese RPG. I was amazed by it throughout the whole experience. Well, that was July 2001, and it went all the way back to Lunar Silver Star Story in October 1996, as we've been told, the first JRPG with speech. That was on the Saturn um, and that's what five years beforehand. So why did it take so long for Square to get the message? This is before Final Fantasy VII came out. On the hell, just after. Well, think think of another game between that game and uh, Final Fantasy X, then, where you can remember the speech. Uh, Resident it Evil is it terrible. Wasn't a thing, I guess. Well, to them, it, it didn't seem. I mean, plus, yeah, but Resident Evil was one thing. Doing a RPG with hundreds of very yes, of course, because there is this, yeah. the sheer weight of the hours and, and also the localization. You've got to do every and goddamn country. Well. You no, know, speech is is heavy. Yeah, <laughs> it, it takes a lot of audio files. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. I'm amazed. It, I'm amazed that a Saturn game had all of that in it. Okay, and. One more that I've got is third-person shooters with heavy cover mechanics. I know. Yeah, well, I know. This is a generally known one, isn't this it? This is a generally known one. That, you know, obviously, Gears of War was one of the ones that made everyone was like, yes, of course, cover, Actually, and specifically the radio. No, 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 well, hold on for a second. Yeah, sorry. Kill Switch, yes. But I was playing Gears the other day, and I thought... Do you know what this actually kind of reminds me of? With all the poking your head out and shooting. In fact, it wasn't even Gears. It was uh, Mass Effect 2. Time Crisis. I mean, they, you, you do all the moving now, but the, the, the whole concept of take cover, shoot, even, you know, what, 
six, seven years before Halo came out, the whole concept of hide, then shoot, then hide, then shoot was all in Time Crisis. Actually, funny enough, if I could kind of steal that, I, I was lucky enough to um, interview Cliff Lazinski. Um, I can't even say his name. Cliff, Cliff Lazinski. Cliffy B, as he doesn't like to be called anymore. Cl- young uh, Clifford. Young, young Cliffy B, the real <laughs> Cliffy B. Um, and he mentioned Kill Switch, because um, I was asking about Bulletstorm and talking about um, the club and Madwell and all these other kind of combo-based yeah. shooters and whether they'd you know, looked at them and, and played them. And they said, oh, yeah, vaguely kind of have played a demo of the club and, you know... Madwell's more of a beast. Of Madwell. Well, but, yeah, but, you know, the, the idea of... Keeping, uh, keeping up a score rather than actually yeah, just trying sort of to... Combo-based yeah. kind of... Yeah violence um and he he talked about kill switch and, and gears he talked about uh, max Payne and um requiem of engine angel in terms of the first game to feature bullet time because everyone yeah. thinks it's max Payne, but it's not it's it's this game called requiem of engine angel um and you know he, he was saying that it's you know that's very deliberate by by uh designers they look to these kind of bad games which had great mechanics and think you can take that and make something around it see um, that's the essence of why we did this episode just this idea of these games that no one remembers no one remembers kill switch but if you dig deep enough that's where the influence came from for the big games that everyone remembers yeah it's part yeah it, exactly that is you know because you ask most people about every single one of these topics and they, they go straight to the obvious ones mm. and then you're like well, which is fair enough because we did the same you know i'm gonna say it now i'm gonna get yeah. into real trouble but I'm going to say it anyway, oh, and I'm ill, so here we go, ready? Uh, surely there's some commonality between this and, wait for it, uh, music. Uh, lots of people go, oh, yeah, they did that rhythm, or they did, they did uh, certain uh, mashups between genres, you know, uh, jazz funk and heavy rock, and it's like, oh, yeah, that band did it first. And actually, actually, I think you're fine. There's that phrase. Yep. Uh, these shot. people did it. These, these people did it first. But the, but this, yes, but they sounded crap. You know, <laughs> so it, yeah, it, well, it, no one bought their album. No one bought their album. So but that is know. rife throughout anything. anything. I mean, all media. Yeah, so I, I mean, books are mediums. based on books. You know, films. How many films where somebody says, well, this is the thing that created it, and really, when you look back, it's this weird. 80s horror flick that nobody yeah. actually yeah. saw. You can keep panning out of the tree of influence, and it all dates back to Shakespeare, which dates back to the Greeks, which dates back to cavemen. Mm-hmm. So it's in, everything slowly, every generation gives birth to the next in terms of creativity. But there is there, various other oh, sorry, media-friendly sound but bites. There is always one that defines that. There is one that everybody does automatically come back to and say, "No, to me, that is the one that really got all of those aspects right. Mm. Was a good game. Was a good piece of media." The lethal at the same content. time as well as having I, just one idea. May I say that is probably the best way to wrap up this conversation because it really is all about that, you know, influence and how it's a fascinating concept. And really, we should be thankful for all those pioneers and all those people, very, very, very clever people who come up with this stuff. And uh, we can never, never, never forget that. You know, making video games is probably one of the most rewarding yet difficult things to do uh, with regards to a creative media. We can never take that away from people. You, you never forget. The guy who made Kill, Kill Switch, he's still pissed off to this day that called, uh, Gears of War is bigger than that game. Perhaps, but <laughs> the fact of the matter is that he made a video game that sold, which is not anyone can say that. I was just going to say that Cabal was predates all oh, that right. stuff. That was a third person over the shoulder um, cover based shooter. Yes. Okay, and that was on the PS1, was it? Uh, Cabal, no, Spectrum. And oh, 1988. Uh, in the arcade, you played it with a trackable, uh, mm. and it had you could yeah, even had the roadie run because as you 
push the tracker ball forward, he'd run forwards. And then when you shoot, it would uh, he would stop. So you, you had to make sure you were in cover when you were shooting. So like Resi, uh, Resi 4 then? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the less kind of, sort of good-natured side of the small is, you know, there's one thing to, to come up with something, it's another thing to make it work. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very much so. Okay. Um, right. Well, that I think that will wrap it up, though. Yes, it will. Okay. Uh, one thing I will mention before we go, I have changed the name for Gonzo Gaming. It is now called Digital Gonzo. This is to make sure that it's not distanced from uh, the, the body of work we've already done and the body of work that I'm already attached to, but specifically because it means that I can talk about anything now. <clears throat> okay. I've been talking about everything but video games in Gonzo Gaming, which doesn't <laughs> yeah, make any goddamn yeah. sense. And, I, you know, it, it's tough enough coming, coming up with, you know, great ideas regarding video games every week for DC to, to, to do it twice in one week. That's mental. So, and that's why yeah. we do off topic. Anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's not that I'm <laughs> never going to talk about ga- games again in Gonzo Gaming, but that pretty much that, that busts it wide open for all kinds of topics. Right. So, uh, there's going to be, different stuff coming there in the next couple of weeks so check out your iTunes or Zoom wherever feed that you get your, uh, your your podcast from and please subscribe to Digital Gonzo next week on Digital Gonzo we're doing a geek quiz looking back on the past three decades worth of geeky TV comics movies etc and asking various searching questions on it for points anyway I'd like to thank very much for coming on the show especially because he's been so ill all day today <laughs> Chris O'Regan from Super Happy Fun Time Show thank you thank you Chris do listen we're great honest yeah, yeah. T- tell us about Super Happy Fun Time Show in one yeah well you can download our stuff at shfts.com that's the word shifts without the I in it and we've been going for Ever. Ever, ever, great. It's me and three Americans who are convinced I don't speak proper English. I mean, they pronounce uh, Ibiza, Ibiza. I mean, if you want to hear, if you want to hear, hear the diatribe I had to suffer from about that, do listen to this week's show. It's special. Uh, but yeah, that's the country say. where Spanish is the second language as well. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> So, yeah. But thanks for having me, chaps. It's been fun, as always. You're quite welcome. Thank you also to Gary Zantiriad Blower. Tell us about your podcast. Uh, Which one? Yep, so... Or various podcasts, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I I get around it. So, yeah, I do a monthly podcast for the Ninja Fat Pigeons, which you can find at ninjafatpigeons.co.uk. I do a monthly one for Game Burst, which is Replay, which is where we play games from two or more years ago and and, uh, compare them to games from today. And you can find that at gameburst.co.uk and um, with Sinan here I also have a hot seat on Big Red Potion from time to time which you can find at bigredpotion.com there you go and Sinan Kerber tell us more about Big Red Potion what's it about? Um, all I'll uh, say is in terms of uh, a good follow on from this show we did a episode I think it's episode 46 where we talked about why do games get overlooked yeah. um, why you know why do some good games episode, which yeah. could be which could be considered good get you know dis uh, disregarded, um, uh, especially like you know from last year, Deadly Premonition, n- um, near Alpha Protocol, these kind of games. Um, so you can check that out. And then there's me and Sam and uh, Joe. Is it Joe? Yes, Joe talking Joe. about Dead Space Two and 3DS. So we we just talk a lot about video games, and you can find us at BigRedPotion.com. I'd actually said that last show was a great follow-on from our Pressure show as well. You know, the, the pressure to play new games and you know. Yeah, it all ties in. Meta. It's all meta. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for all coming on this show. And Tony and I will be back next week and the next couple of months 
expect the return of some long-awaited interviews with people we've never talked to before. Yes, some good stuff coming up. Indeed. Catch you guys later. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Tony Atkins. And happy trails. And my time was running wild A million dead-end streets And every time I thought I got it made It seemed the taste was not so sweet So I turned myself to face me But I've never caught a glimpse How the others must see the faker I'm much too fast to take that test Ch-ch-ch-change Turn and face the strain Ch-ch-change Don't wanna be a richer man Never leave the stream of warm and permanent sand So the days float through my eyes But still the days seem the same And these children that you spit on as they Try to change their worlds Are immune to your consultations They're quite aware of what they're going through Changes Turn and face the strain Ch-ch-changes
what I'm going to play for you now is a snippet from The Hotspot, which was the GameSpot podcast back when the guys who went on to form Giant Bomb worked there. This is Jeff and Brad, along with Alex Navarro and Rich Gallup, talking about the exasperatingly long wait for Duke Nukem Forever, all the way back in early 2006. It's just kind of a hilarious postscript that it's finally coming out a further five years later. These guys were massively influential on Tony and I, and we love to remember this golden era in podcasting history. All right, here's another Fight one. Fight back. This Brotherhood. Is, this is this is a story that was a lot more fun to make fun of before uh, this recent update, but uh, maybe we'll still find something for I th- it. I think it's still pretty easily right, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. All right, there's, uh, as we know, GameSpot News likes to keep up on the stock tips and SEC filings and everything. And in a Take-Two filing with the SEC, it was revealed that 3D Realms has a $500,000 incentive to finish Duke Nukem Forever by the end of this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Right. So it's going to happen, right? Um, not a, I mean, not according to, to George Bouchard. Half a million yeah. dollars. Why wouldn't you finish it, right? Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. that's money. That's bank. That's totally bank. Right. What, what did George Bouchard say, Brad? He said, "Nah." Okay. He said, "When it's done." Yeah, basically. <laughs> he, yeah. he said, "He said the, 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 the 3D Realms company line at this point. When it's done, yeah, it's been yeah. in development since 1997. Uh, yeah, at this and point, apparently what? they just got the guns working. Uh, what's what's another year or two when it's been almost a decade in there? Yeah, I at this. Why? Why would? Okay. <laughs> well, here it comes. Here it comes. Imagine how much time at 3D Realms has been wasted keeping this game current with the times. If they are still actually working on it and still planning on releasing it, this game was like the Quake Two engine at some point. Yep. Like, what are they doing? What could they possibly be doing? To, to, th- this game is not done yet. I've said it a thousand times. The game is a lie. It never existed. Yeah. It is a way to get money out of Activision the, to we, keep George Broussard's internet porn collection going. This, like, seriously. Okay, <laughs> they, they probably generated assets three or four times and had to dump them all or go back to them all because they just weren't good enough anymore. Think about how far games have come since 1997. We do have screenshots Leaps. and a trailer up on the site, which I think might have been from E3 2009. From 1999 or, or 2000. Yeah, or 98 like or 99. Well, at yeah. that point, I think it was using, like, the Unreal 1 or Unreal, Unreal Tournament, I think, is the engine. Yeah, maybe, at that point. yeah. And so, like, I, I heard, I was on a bus with some people that work in the video game business at Aww. some pre-E3 event like three years ago and I heard one guy turn to the other and go, you know, I got to go see Duke Nukem Forever. It's, it's looking alright. And that was three years ago. It's still not out. <laughs> so even if what he saw then looked good, how could it possibly look good now? They have to be doing like the most amazing, not a generic first person shooter gameplay with that or they need to be riding the, the bleeding edge of technology, but I just can't imagine they're doing either at this point, and it's just ridiculous. The game will come out, it will be $20. And, you know, of course, anytime anyone says anything about Duke Nukem Forever other than like, I can't wait for it to come out, dude, or I don't care, there's always George <laughs> Broussard going like, oh, you'll see. Well, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe I will. Maybe we will all see. I think, yeah. I think we're starting to see some cracks in the facade in the last few months. Yeah. If you've, if you've kept up with any of the comments, he's been, because he's always speaking out on message boards and stuff. Because he has that much time, apparently. Apparently. Sure. Yeah. And lately, he hasn't been defending the game quite as hard. Yeah. There, there well. have been a couple of quotes, like uh, some magazine got to go see the game a few months ago, and they've got him quoted in there being just like, "We at this point, we just want to get the game done. Well, then and, what are you doing? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Don't yell at me. What's Three Realms uh, doing? Are they? 
Are they publishing Prey? Are they developing Prey? They're involved. Yeah, they're, that game looks cool. Like that game got killed and and revitalized, and, and, that game and looks, it's coming out that, before Duke Nukem, and that looks awesome. I mean, they did. I wouldn't go that far, but I, right. I will. That game looks awesome to me. Art Bell coming through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Art, yeah. Art Bell that, is that totally is, in that cool game. Idea. Yeah. But like 3D Realms, like made. I think they made a huge chunk of money. I mean, obviously they made a ton of money off Duke Nukem, but then they they made like a really good, sizable chunk of cash off of Max Payne. Yeah, they helped somehow with the development of right. that game. So, you know, then they found Remedy and Finder's Fee, whatever, whatever. So, you know, they, they've got no problem with money. They've been self-funding it. So, you know, yeah, like, like George Broussard says, they're not going to rush it now. And really, why bother? All right. Well, let's, uh, let's move on. We'll learn more about Duke Nukem Forever as its release date of December no 31st <laughs> approaches. It's coming out this year. Stop we? saying is that. that. Is that Stop what we just lying. came up to? Is the, the game's coming out this year? Yeah, totally. It, yes. <laughs> it, will, come out, it will come out on December 31st. Right, actually, it's a Wii launch game, October 18th. Mm, cool. Let's move on with our fistful of craziness.